0: Hey pole dancer, welcome to the Evidence-Based Pole Podcast. My name is Rosie Boa, I'm a pole dancer, pole teacher, and personal trainer, and I've started this podcast so that we can learn together, talk with the experts, read the research, and feel better on and off the pole. So if that sounds like something you're interested in doing, let's go. Welcome to an episode that I'm very excited about. Uh, So I am joined today by Rihanna Peterman, who is a body liberation dietitian, um, also you know registered dietitian nutritionist. Etc. Um, we talked actually in the very first podcast episode, if you all have been uh, listening since then, about the difference between a nutritionist, which anyone can just say that they are, and a dietitian, which is someone who has had professional training in how to do that. Um, and uh, Rihanna is the latter, just to be clear about the distinction there. Um, yeah, so let's let's jump right into it. Uh, you want to introduce people to yourself, introduce yourself to people, tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Um and I will I'll just say right now you're a pole dancer, so one of us. Yes, I absolutely
1: am one of us. And pole dancing has been it's a huge part of the work that I do, I'll say, because what I focus on with my clients is individual counseling on improving their relationship with food and their bodies. And Pole dancing does that for so many people. So it it was it's really just made so much sense. Like I honestly, doing this work before I found pole dancing was you know I can support people with the food piece for sure, but with the movement part, you know it's just nice that there's a community out there that's so accepting, diverse, and empowering. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, I am uh, I'm a personal trainer in addition to a, a pole dance teacher and. Uh body liberation is not part of the personal (laughs) training curriculum. Um, Here's how you help people lose weight because of course, duh, that's what you want them to do, isn't it? Uh, And that sort of like diet culture as like foundation very much is. So it is unfortunately very much baked into a lot of movement spaces in a way that I think is not very healthy for folks, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, diet culture, wellness culture, the gym bro culture, I I think that there's just such a, a picture painting did in society what movement should look like and it doesn't leave much wiggle room and pole dancing breaches that gap you know like it skirts that line it it breaks a lot of rules in many ways which i also think is part of why i love it so much i my practice is named rebel nutrition and that's because i rebel against diet culture like everything i do and talk about with folks is really uh trying to find what's best for their body like each person is the expert in their own body
0: yeah absolutely yeah i i agree i think that pole dance does tend to not always but i think it does tend to uh attract folks with uh transgressive desires in some ways um you know i think that's part of the reason why there are so many queer people in pole dancing is because um you know already your things that you want in your life are not exactly aligned with sort of a larger societal norm so you know being one more in the fire it's it's all the same do we both use the words diet culture a couple times? And I think some people may not be familiar with what that is. Um, so, what is diet culture, and why are we both like just like right off the bat being like we don't like this?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, well, diet culture is the multi-billion-dollar business that is profiting off of people's insecurities with their bodies and their health anxieties as well and profiting off of those fears so it's this huge huge business we all know diet culture i'm sure we've all heard of some fad diet out there there's like so many um keto atkins the hollywood diet the grapefruit diet i mean so many and they're rooted in this belief of like if you do this diet everything will happen the way you want it to your life will work out and there's no room for error. Like if the diet doesn't work, it's not because the diet's at fault. No, it's because the individual's at fault. What happens? A repeat, of cycle, keep buying products for diet companies, shakes, um, weight loss programs. And really at the end of the day, it's sending a message that healthy is The most important thing is a top priority, which the reality is, is that could be a priority for ourselves. Maybe not. That's an individual thing. That's very personal. And also that thinness is also the ultimate priority. And that can be very problematic as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And that thin is healthy and not thin is unhealthy, which, uh, I think, uh, for people who have lived in the world and met people with bodies, you probably know that that's not the case necessarily.
1: Right. It's so nuanced. Mm. And I think that's part of where diet culture can come in is when people are craving this black and white, really simple approach. I hear it all the time. Like sometimes people come to meet with me and they're like, Rihanna, I would just really love a pill that I could take. And would just give me everything I need nutritionally for the day because they're so burnt out over what seems very confusing. And I guess my thoughts are that diet culture provides this very simple pathway that makes it seem like it's really simple. Just do this. And if it doesn't work, it's, well, it's your fault. Just try harder. But And some people want that and need that. And that's okay, too.
0: Yeah, I will also just, you know, for folks who are listening are like, well, you know, being very restrictive (laughs) and sort of like self-flagellating has been something that, you know, gives me a sense of structure and purpose and control over my body. Uh, You know, your body is yours. I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. I will say that the evidence is that if you do, you know, intentionally change your eating habits to change your weight, um, if you lose weight... Almost everyone will regain it within five years, um, which is part of the reason why it's very lucrative to sell people the idea that their bodies are wrong in a way that they can temporarily fix. But then, oh, no, you are a bad person now because, you know, your body did what it did naturally. uh, And now you have to come and pay us extra money again to to fix your body once again. Oh, wait, it didn't work this time either. Hmm, mysterious. Well, I guess you got to pay us more money. Um... Which I I can see how that works as a business plan, um, as uh, you know, <laughs> a fitness professional. Um, it makes my teeth itch.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's effective business model, I guess, if we want to think of it that way, because it works. But is it actually like uplifting people and helping them with the things that they're coming to these diets really wanting? Like maybe actually healing their relationship with food and movement and wanting these simple answers, like maybe my guess is probably not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple times, you know, a relationship with food and movement. I know, uh, we mentioned, you know, body liberation, people may be familiar with things like body positivity or body neutrality. Um, and talking about this relationship, do you want to talk about some of the ways that, um, you know, I don't want to say inherently that some are better than others, but like some ways that people might relate to their bodies that perhaps are not setting them up for, uh, a happy life <laughs> and some other ways that you might uh you know recommend people consider if they haven't considered before i don't know that was very vague i think you know where i'm going though
1: yeah i think the way i understood the question is uh what are some helpful perspectives and ways to relate to your body
0: a much and, like, better way to say it yes <laughs> okay yeah no
1: i i think yeah i think one thing i'll share is that my mind immediately goes to how often i hear people saying like you know what should I have for this one meal? Should I make, if I'm going to have like fast food, should I make sure that I'm going to like cook broccoli on the side? So I have all the food groups. Like, is it that important? And the reality is, is our body doesn't just immediately switch gears once the clock hits midnight. Like we're, our bodies are functioning constantly every 24 hours. And so if, We don't get, our body needs something, whether it's produce or, I don't know, broccoli or, or dairy or water. You know, we have that opportunity, whether it's at that meal, the next meal, snacks, there's so many more chances to get that in. And so I think in general, having more compassion for our bodies and slowing down because diet culture claims that we don't have time. That we have to kick it into gear, whip our butts into shape, and you know, you know, health is on the line. And more often than not, that's not the case. You know, again, that's preying on our fears. And so, like, reminding yourself and your body that like it's gonna be okay, and thinking of all the ways that your body does show up for you too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a you know sort of artificial sense of urgency. Uh, and also perfection, (laughs) as if it were not only possible but realistic to achieve. Uh, every single day, every single time that I think can take up a lot of brain space that you you could use for other things. Um, and then also it creates sort of um, an antagonistic relationship with your body, right? So, which uh, you mentioned again, like very helpful for people. Poll can often be very helpful for people with that. And I think that uh, if you do not feel like, you know, uh, an inhabitant and caretaker of your body, sometimes doing something where you're like, we're going to learn a skill um, and see tangible progress can, can help you develop that Right. That's a great
1: point. Like uh, finding other ways to exert body autonomy that isn't like maybe only through restriction. Like that's one way to control your food. Another way would be like going out, taking a pole class. I know sometimes that's like not that simple. I'm definitely sharing that now thinking like it is really an oversimplification and there's times where it's hard for people to eat for so many reasons. And remembering that we do have choice in how we live in our bodies and acting on that choice right
0: yeah yeah and it's that's a skill you can develop too right like realizing yeah. that i get to choose what to do right there's not like an imaginary person following behind me with a clipboard being like oh hey you ate one two few carrot sticks you're getting the flu tomorrow <laughs> i'm grading you on you know how good you are at having a body and if the grade is bad enough then you will be punished in some way um and just being like hey imaginary person i'm doing something you're telling me not to haha <laughs> Break the rules. See what happens. Absolutely. So um, I know that you have in your your practice. There's a number of areas that you uh, you know you work with people on. Um, if you can share this, I'd be interested to know what do you see sort of comes up the most often with people um, who are coming to you for help. Because I. And also, I guess, corollary to that, is there anything that you don't do as a dietitian? Oh, great question. Yeah. So I
1: definitely focus on providing my services to those living in queer fat bodies. I live in a queer fat body myself, so it helps. You know, I have shared lived experience and I just enjoy working with queer folks. They're <laughs> a great time. And at the same time, I do offer my services to those, you know, with digestive issues fertility issues pregnancy um, stuff coming up even at post-pregnancy diabetes chronic illness i i see the whole gamut and people hear when they go you're a body liberation dietitian." does that mean you don't do weight loss and i don't prescribe it no i don't prescribe weight loss absolutely not it's against my values at the same time do i have clients that i work with who are actively pursuing that like, and are on the fence about it and struggle with maybe breaking away from that but are still kind of in the throes of it like yeah i still work with them the reality is is I don't have the answers for whether their weight's going to go up, go down, or stay the same. I think that's probably the number one thing that people want from me when they meet with me is to know how they can control that and what to expect. People ask me about set point. They think like, oh, maybe my body has a very specific range it's supposed to be at. Um, sometimes that's true. Everybody's different. The genetics play such a big part. So uh, there's going to be providers out there and dietitians and nutritionists out there who make claims that they can control weight and say, yes, this is going to be a meal plan that gives you exactly the outcome that you want and they may have like a strong guess but we don't really know and this is i'm talking as someone who has two degrees in nutrition a master's in science we don't know how to actually make sure someone's weight decreases or increases we're just taking best guesses and then that's not normally not what people want to hear and so if you're listening to this right now and you're like what
0: but i've always <laughs> just heard you know you got to have more calories out than calories in and your weight wor- will just like decrease linearly yeah. that's that's not what right.
1: happens it's just so simple right like no it's not and the reality is our weight is factored in by so many things medicine age genetics sleep stress um, activity level food like the food. Food and movement are just two things out of the laundry list of things that impact weight. Mm -hmm. Illness, chronic illness, like the list goes on. So yeah, it's, I think that's the number one thing that people want is like to confirm or like reassure them that that actually is going to work. There is that control. And unfortunately I can't provide that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think something something I've been reading about recently that uh, I don't know how much this is common knowledge, uh, but is the role of epigenetics on a lot of things. So epigenetics is like how a gene is ex- expressed. Um, and basically it's, y'all know <laughs> uh, that thing from high school science where they laughed at them and they were like, when a giraffe stretches its neck a lot, a kid has a longer neck. And they were like, that's not really how it works. But what happens to your parents uh, and you know your, your progenitors does affect how their genes express? so maybe maybe a little bit actually just kind of a little bit right um <laughs> And, you know, if you've had a family history of food insecurity, that's going to affect your metabolism for the rest of your life. And you don't have any, um, you know, you don't have any control over that. You may not even have knowledge about it. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah, you're an ecosystem and you can't just go in there and be like, I'm going to kill all the ants and I know exactly what's going to happen in the ecosystem. Um, you can try. Yeah. <laughs> you can find out those ants for load bearing in a very unpleasant way, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think people really do discount how much genetics plays into things so much because it's like over 50% when it comes to actually how our body composition is made up, how our body changes, how frequent our weight changes, at what ages. Like, so much of that is already pre written into our DNA when we're born. It's like, coded into our bodies that we're going to have a weight fluctuation maybe at 25 years old or whatever you know like these are it's already written in and so we can try to override our bodies for sure we can try to change it and it might be fighting and losing battle or just something that goes on for a really long time and do you want to be fighting your body
0: yeah uh I mean, I think for some people the answer is probably yes (laughs) because that's what they're most comfortable with and that's the relationship that they've had for a really long time. But for me, the answer is definitely no. Uh, It's just not something that... It's something I've tried in the past. Um, It was bad for me on pretty much every level of my life, you know, physically, emotionally, socially. It, you know, caused harm, disproportionate to, you know, any benefit that I was gaining from it. And when I stopped doing it, um i i just did better
1: overall so you were fighting your body mm-hmm. You mentioned like what it was in particular you were finding your body on
0: yeah uh so and just sugar warning here i'm going to talk about disordered eating um so i had some pretty disordered eating i had you know extremely restrictive uh meal plans um that i followed very religiously like every every tablespoon was measured um and i did not do myself any long-term favors in terms of like you know my relationship with food and my relationship with my body um Um, And it took me a long time to get to the point where I'm now where I'm like, but for for those of you who are familiar with intuitive eating, right? Like I can notice when I feel full. I can notice when I feel hungry. Those are things that I had to kind of relearn at various points in my life to have other things as well um, that did not have anything to do with the, the disordered eating. Um, and yeah, I, I lost a lot of weight and, uh, it was not good for me. (laughs) It was, it was bad again, uh, physically, emotionally, um, socially, right? Like I I didn't go out to eat with people anymore. So, uh, that's, it's not a great place to be as a person. Um, and letting that go was a a hard journey, but very worthwhile. And I am significantly happier now than I uh, was then. I'm happy for you too. That's a scary thing to do. Yes. Yes, because you, you, know, you have a sense of control, um, and then you don't have that sense of control anymore, uh, so it takes a lot of faith. Yeah. Do you know what finally was
1: the, the final line for you, that you're like, you know what, this is it?
0: Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I think the main thing is that I was just cold all the time like i couldn't get warm um and like i just lay in bed at night being like i'm so cold <laughs> and i've always been a person who likes a lot of blankets but i would be beneath all these blankets being like i can't get warm enough to um you know sleep well uh and i was like you know what maybe maybe that maybe something's wrong here <laughs> maybe this is not uh you know doing well for me
1: so you lost that physical comfort in your mm-hmm. body yeah yeah that makes sense why that'd be enough to push you to try something new yeah absolutely
0: and also you know i had some other changes in my life where i had some more social support around me and that helped as well uh right particularly being around other people who had a better relationship with food
1: yeah yes that can be huge so much of how we relate to our bodies and food is really like from how it's been modeled to us and the people around us it can be a huge influence
0: yeah i think like uh many people uh i had a parent who was just constantly yo-yo dieting and constantly talking about how much they hated their body and you know how much gaining weight made them feel bad about themselves and uh uh, that has uh, resulted in a lot of unlearning for me yeah worth it though right oh absolutely absolutely yeah um I know there's something that people say this. I hate this. <laughs> They're like, if you're in fitness, your body is your your business card, right? Like, and you got to be like super fit. So people are like, oh, I want to take class from that fit person. I think my relationship with my body is my business card, <laughs> right? Because I think it's much more important to... Um, Feel good about yourself and like enjoy having a body to the greatest extent possible. And I know that's obviously going to be, you know, if you're living with something like chronic pain, that is going to be a very different relationship for you than it is uh, for me, who's not. Um, but that is a thing that takes work, but is definitely possible to improve. And, uh, you know, also something that professionals can help with. You don't have to do it yeah. yourself.
1: Yeah, you don't have to do it alone. I make it my mission to make sure the space I offer to folks is safe. And one where they can share any of those things where it's intentionally made, where we can talk about what what food has been like in the home, what's been modeled to us, how we want it to look different, how we want to relate to our bodies. And I really relate to what you just said about like your body's not your business card. It's a relationship with their body. I get that too, all the time. Or like you're a dietitian." And you're fat. How does that work? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like mind blowing. Like <laughs> The world <laughs> exploded when I became a dietitian. No. <laughs> um, like there's so
0: much more behind what we just see aesthetically. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, uh, it is, I think, less so in pole than in some other spaces, but it also definitely still is there in pole. I think the sort of like constant pervasive cultural anti-fat bias is So it's almost hard to notice at first until you really start, you know, looking for it, right? It's like, you know, any other, you know, systematic structure of oppression, you know, once you like know that racism exists you you know begin to be like oh <laughs> oh i see um and i think you know that journey of discovery looks very different if you are in the oppressed class or not referencing like weight bias in the poll world the whole world um and also just more generally in in culture at large but certainly yeah i think part of the one of the ways that it can really show up in poll that I I have noticed um, both as a student and instructor is that um, even if there's not like explicitly assumptions that larger bodies are just going to be less capable in general, which is very much not the case, um, there is a reticence to acknowledge that having a larger body is going to change how things look and feel and adjusting for that as an instructor, right? So, I think Ross the Diva is a great example of someone who, you know, is very forthright about like, yeah, this is going to feel different if your belly is bigger, right? You're not going to be able to find this position as comfortably. Um, A great example of this for me is... um, I really prefer, um, and I find that often my students who have a you know larger chest or larger belly also prefer a forearm bracket climb over a climb with both arms straight because in the climb with both arms straight, the pole is really resting on your belly, and uh, to get up you have to sort of like either slide it, which introduces friction, which makes it harder, or really come back and then forward again, right? So. on the other hand, if you have a forearm bracket, so you're pushing your body further away from the pole, uh, you have that space to move through without being compressed and without having that friction. Um, and you know that's it, it is morally neutral, <laughs> you know whether you like a forearm bracket climb or whether you like both arms high. But having different bodies are going to the differences between your body and somebody else's body is just going to affect the way the pole moves, feel and look, and what is easier and harder. Um, and really thinking about that and you know acknowledging it in class in a in a neutral way I think is very important and I think a lot of folks don't do I think also a lot of instructors are instructors because pole was easy for them. Um, And they have, you know, I'm good at this. I should keep doing it. I'm good at this. I should teach it, Um, which is not necessarily a bad journey to go on. But if you've never really struggled because of your body, I think it can be hard to understand what that's like. There's a lot of body privilege Mm. in pole and dancing in general.
1: Oh, yeah. And you're right, like those who have body privilege and are instructors and aren't going out to get the information to learn about how to teach the students who aren't privileged in similar ways or just have different body types, you know, they are going to be limited. Mm-hmm. And the population of people that they're going to teach and who are probably going to respond well to that teaching style. I'm going to be honest, you rattling all that off with the climb was very impressive to me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so you've done your research to make sure that you can assist any body that shows up in the space and wants to do a climb. That's awesome. Yes. Love to see it. It's,
0: uh, something I spent a lot of time thinking about because I, you know, the thing that triggered me to have really disordered eating was like an offhand comment during a poll class and I was like, oh, I'm too big. (laughs) I have to get smaller. Yep. Uh, spoiler alert. I didn't, (laughs) it's perfectly (laughs) fine. Um, you know, and I, I struggled a lot and the, the thing that should have changed was what I was trying to do and how I was trying to do it and not my body. And that is always true suits if you're listening, that's always the case. If you were six, you know, failing over and over again, the issue is not your body. The issue is something else.
1: Personally, I was really struggling with making progress in pole. Mm. And then I found out that I have a severe pelvic floor condition. Mm. And I'm like, huh, when I think about pole dancing, I use my pelvis. That's for sure. I definitely do like all the time. (laughs) Um, No wonder why I was running into issues. I guess I could have tried to fight that and like just override my body's chronic condition. Um, but that would have been really a on me and it could have made the Worse. Sure. So, I don't know. I really appreciate that recommendation to like pause if you're struggling with something and not just blame your body because there could be so many factors. Yeah. Or not just blame your weight.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, your weight or, you know, uh, a number of other things, right? Like short legs, short arms, um, you know, your current level of flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you just don't have the ability to do something, something needs to change. Like, you need to change something about the movement so that you are doing something that. Is within your ability. Ah, and, uh. Yeah, pelvic floor in particular is something that I think a lot about. Um, I'm I'm curious. Do you find when you're not thinking about it and you're doing pull that you hold your breath? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yep, that's definitely uh, likely to to lead to issues because that you know the abdominal pressure's got to go somewhere. There's a good study I was reading recently where you know if for this was specifically looking at people who are pregnant, um, but sometimes you have like separation of the abdomen to to make room. Uh, and what they found was that there was a negative correlation between people who had separation of the abdomen. Uh, and people who had, uh, you know, pelvic floor prolapse, right? So basically the pressure has to go somewhere. uh, And if you're really squeezing in the abdomen, it goes down. And if you're really squeezing at the bottom, it goes out. Um, And I mean, ideally you can sort of like balance those things. And I, you know, talk to a pelvic floor specialist, that's not me. But, you know, in pole, particularly if you're someone who like unconsciously sucks your stomach in, a consciously hold your breath. Yeah, pelvic floor issues are a very real potential consequence of that.
1: Yeah, something has to take the strain mm-hmm. when we're doing these moves. It could be the, in muscles that we want to be engaged, or it could be our pelvis. Or, you know,
0: find something that you can do with more ease. So you don't have to strain to the point where, you know, you're you're creating issues for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, bodies are an ecosystem. <laughs> if you remove the ants of breathing, <laughs> you know, you, you get the, I don't know, t- squid of pelvic floor She's it's not a very good ecosystem in the metaphor but you know what i mean right
1: you know i see i even did this myself i see other dancers too who are all, like dancing they come they're new to pole, and it's like a race to the finish line to mm-hmm. get all the tricks and personally don't want to risk that at the cost of my pelvis or these other other things that maybe i don't know i'd rather like take it slower not race and see what happens um, I see injuries. Mm-hmm. People come to see me for injuries. You know, like that. It's it. It does have risk.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And there's that. You know, that same sense of false, manufactured urgency that it has to be right now. It has to be perfect, right? Like it's just like we were talking earlier with you know thinking about food. If those are your thought patterns that you normally fall into. Maybe it's worth considering them. And I mean, the, certainly the patterns that I fall into. Right. It's again socially very accepted um, you know a lot of advertising is like you got to do the thing right now <laughs> you don't have any choice um, so I think it's a state that like we are constantly encouraged to be in but it's not that's not really how your body works right and if you tell your body that that's how it should be working, Congratulations on the chronic stress. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's probably not very fun for you. Yeah, it's probably going to be a terrible time. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, i thinking some terms that people may have heard us say, may not be familiar with, um, fat liberation and body liberation? Um, what sort of the, what are those? And uh, what's sort of the philosophy underneath them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So fat liberation is, it's liberating fat people from the tropes and the state stigmas and the stereotypes so it's celebrating fatness instead of condemning it and fat liberation can be approached in so many ways it could be approached in how we relate to friends you know who live in fat bodies or our own fat body that we may live in it can show up in advocacy you know i work closely with folks who are trying to make changes to laws that allow for um, the seats on buses and airplanes to be different sizes, to actually accommodate bodies differently. Like there's just so many facets that go into liberating fat folks in their day-to-day lives and the ways they're already currently oppressed. And if anyone is looking to learn more about this, I really recommend um, a book called anti-diet by Christy Harrison. She's another dietitian does Uh, similar work to me and really dives into a lot of these intersections with diet culture at the same time
0: yeah i'm trying to remember to put that in the in the uh show notes yeah
1: and then for body liberation that's you know thinking of how our bodies are oppressed and terrorized every single day and liberating from that so i mean that goes from weight discrimination, race discrimination, all of those things, like liberating our laws and also our biases. Um, Knowing that like biases may not, we can't completely erase them. We can be aware of them. But that already leaves so much more room for discussion about If we're aware of these biases and that we have a certain idea of how bodies should look
0: be um then if we're aware of that maybe we can have a discussion about it yeah absolutely definitely thinking about the ways in which some bodies are commodified as the right bodies and everybody else gets uh you know to enjoy the commodities of the things that will fix the bodies to be the right bodies Uh, and this is you know nothing to do with you know your actual, you know, ability to move. It has everything to do with how you look to an outside perceiver, and very little to do with how your internal experience of your body is, except to make you feel bad about it if it's not quote good enough Um, systems of oppression systems of oppression
1: and so to like define body liberation is actually I, i like i'm struggling with it because it can go so far as to you know like thinking of all of the people who are being terrorized in palestine right now they need liberation and that is a facet of that too so you know people will say things to me like i like the po- body positive community body positivity community because it's not as political i'm like unfortunately the body positive t- community is missing the mark though in that way of like there are ways that these people we are being governed and controlled by society and these systems that are going to oppress different people with different bodies until they're changed
0: and my my understanding um this is an area that i've read some in but i would not say i'm an expert in my understanding of the body positivity movement is that it was started as a political movement and has since been sort of like shifted in co-opt to be um more palatable for selling people things yeah yes which i've also seen with intuitive eating as
1: well <laughs> I'm seeing intuitive eating diets where people are making claims that mindful eating can be a way to lose weight. And I'm like, this is
0: wild. (laughs) Yeah. Really? People who are not watching the video. I just took my glasses off and just like fully face palmed. Outrageous.
1: Um, So I don't know. I, I guess that could happen with the fat liberation community too. My hopes is is that there's enough fat people who are actively involved in the community, making sure that progress is made. The body positive community, it's like not necessarily aiming to liberate any certain body. It's just saying let's be happy about our bodies. And so there's which could be freeing for some people, but not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Also feeling positive about your body may not be something that's even close to how one feels and so i hear often that that is just really far off from how people actually feel so that's where i like to think of body neutrality if we can't it doesn't have to be positive but maybe can we think of our bodies in a way that isn't harmful negative condemning
0: yeah absolutely starting to notice those thoughts when we direct them towards ourselves and you know maybe you know try not to I know it sounds so like glib and simple but it's not not at all yeah you're not alone
1: everybody on this planet is dealing with having their bodies being nitpicked and terrorized and controlled in some way shape or form and you're right it's not just the flip of a switch to immediately feel better it takes work and time, and also many people don't have access to those things. So I just think that there's a lot more support that is needed.
0: Absolutely. Um, speaking of support, uh, I want to make sure we wrap up on time. I know you are you are busy. Um, if people were looking for support, say, from you in particular, uh, how could they find you and how could they work with
1: you? Absolutely. So if you would like to work with me, go to my website. It's at uh, riannapeterman.com, R-E-A-N-N-A-P-E-T-E-R-M-A-N.com. You can also email me at rdn at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at RhiannaRDN. Um I am accepting new clients right now at sometimes of the year I offer groups like meal support. I actually eat with people and it, it can be a really fun time. Um, so, yeah, if you are if any of this hit home for you or you felt like you connected to some of the things that we talked about today and you're interested please don't hesitate to reach out. I take insurance and also offer self-pay and sliding scale.
0: Uh, and I know you also do work with people who are currently experiencing eating disorders. So, ah. Yes. Yeah. If that's you, A, hugs. <laughs> uh, and D, maybe reach out to Anna. Yeah, please do. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining today. Uh, Great conversation. I hope folks uh, enjoyed it. I'm sure they did. Uh, And uh, I will see y'all later, listeners. And Rihanna, lovely chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs)